Man, what a great day. Ten baptisms, folks. And uh, it actually would have been 11. We had uh, somebody who is sick and couldn't be here today. So we'll have another, another baptism service here before too long. But um, man, what, and I want to pick on John Prince a little bit. One, because we got several requests to hold him under the water a little longer. Um, but, you know, John actually made the decision to follow Christ several years ago and, and has a, a fantastic testimony. Honestly, he's not just our donut man. He's one of our faithful members. He's on our board. Uh, but when we started talking about this service, he, he just, he, he just kind of felt convicted. He decided a long time ago to follow Christ, but he's never been baptized. And so that might be you, folks. That's something that the Bible tells us we need to do. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized... Why not? That's my question for you. Why not? Uh, next one that we have, uh, consider uh, joining those who will, who will be up here and taking a part in that. So good, good day today. Um, we're continuing our series called The Important Stuff. And what we're really talking about in this series, as Kyle has mentioned a couple times, we're talking about some of the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, which is just another way of saying things that we do that draw us closer to God things that we do that help us connect with God, things that we do to cultivate that relationship with God. That's what we're talking about. And we're talking about some of the more foundational practices, but the truth is there are all kinds of ways that we can draw close to God. Usually we talk most about reading the Bible, prayer, and going to church. And I would say those are the three foundational ones for sure. But there's so many other ways that we can connect with God. Some people connect with God through music by just sitting and listening to music or even driving down the road and listening to worship music. For some people, being out in creation. Um, our house, the back, the back door faces the west. And when it's not, as long as it's not cloudy, I can look out my back window or stand on my back deck and I can just see this beautiful sunset. And every time it just draws my attention to God and I can't help but say, God, thank you. That's a, that's a spiritual practice. Some people like to journal um, so I, I remember when my boys were infants sitting in the recliner holding them and, and just looking down at their, at their pudgy sleeping faces and I couldn't help but have my focus turned to God and say, God, thank you. Uh, for some of you, watching a Chiefs game is a spiritual practice because you do, you do more praying in that three hours than any other time of the week, right? Right. God, please, please let the wide receivers actually catch it, please. Please don't let my homes get hurt. Please, some of you might be thinking, God, please show another shot of Taylor Swift celebrating because that's why I'm watching the game. Talking to you, Malcolm. Yeah. 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 There are lots of different things that can draw us closer to God and direct our focus and our attention to God. Um, and, but one of the things that I want to share before we jump into the topic for today, something that God's been teaching me as I get older, and that is that... Uh, <laughs> Different spiritual practices, you might connect with different spiritual practices in one season of life more so than you do in other seasons of life. And, and the truth is, all of us go through times in our relationship with God where it's, it just feels kind of dry. I mean, that happens in our human relationships, doesn't it? 
I mean, my wife, Sarah, there are times when, when yeah, we love each other, we're married, but, uh, but you know, the, maybe the, the, that feeling of closeness isn't, isn't there as much. And we all go through seasons like that. And so if you're in a season like that with, with your relationship with God right now, don't beat yourself up over that. You don't, don't question your salvation. You're just, you're, you're just, just in this kind of dry time. And what I'm starting to learn as I get older is sometimes when we're in like a dry season like that, Maybe you should consider maybe some spiritual practices that you've never engaged in before. I mean, I would say that for a married couple too. Man, how do you, how, how do you, how do you keep that sense of closeness? Well, there's all kinds of ways that we interact as couples. Maybe explore some ways of interacting that you don't usually explore. And that, and that goes with our relationship with God as well. But today's topic uh, that we're jumping into is Scripture, the Bible, God's Word, you know, we all know that this, this book is the best-selling book of all time. It's been printed and sold and bought and read by more people than any other book in the history of the world. And so my first question is, why is that? Why is this book such a big deal? What makes this book so unique in human history? Well, we could answer that question this way. We could point to things like this. It was written over a time span of about 1,500 years by more than 40 authors, including a judge, a sheep breeder, <laughs> that one always makes me laugh, a sheep breeder, a priest, a statesman, kings, prophets, poets, musicians, philosophers, farmers, teachers, a doctor, a tax collector, that's right, an IRS agent wrote the book of Matthew. Some were highly educated, some weren't educated at all, some were free, some were enslaved. Some were rich, some were poor. It was written in palaces. Some of it was written in prisons. It was written in cities and in the country, during war, during peace. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It was written on three different continents. It has stories of victory and defeat, sin and disobedience, heroes, villains, sex and violence, giants, huge boats, and even a donkey that talks. There are the most incredible stories in this book. But you know what? All of that makes for some really cool trivia. But that's still not what makes this book unique. That's still not what makes this book special. What makes it unique is that it answers some of the most important questions we can ask. You know, we can, we can turn to all kinds of things to answer a lot of questions in life. How, how do we even learn things? And I'm not talking about pulling up the Google, okay? I like to say the Google because then my boys look at me and they roll their eyes and they have that look on their face that says, Dad, you're such an old man. So I'm not talking about turning to the Google. Where does the Google get its information? Well, we, we can engage our five senses. We can, um, we can investigate. We can research. We can do all kinds of things like that. But all of that, none of that answers the questions like, who are we? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Or maybe the most, and not maybe, the single most important question, is God real, and what's he like? That's the most important question to ask. And what makes the Bible unique is that it answers those questions. Now, some would say, you know, I don't know if there's a God or not, because, you know, if there is a God and he is real, then by definition, that means he's infinite and he's beyond our ability as limited human beings to understand. And you want to know the truth? I actually agree with that. God is infinite. 
And he is beyond our ability with these limited human minds. He is beyond our ability to understand. But what if that infinite, limitless God loved us enough to reveal himself to us? Well, now that's a game changer, isn't it? What if this limitless, infinite God loved us enough to reveal himself to us? Well, that is exactly what he's done. In fact, he's revealed himself to us in all kinds of ways, but most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, whom we encounter on the pages of this book. And that, my friends, is what makes this book unique. It's not all of those cool trivia things. It's the fact that this book points us to and teaches us about Jesus who demonstrates for us clearly this is who God is. This is what God looks like. He is a holy, loving, extraordinary God and we encounter him on the pages of this book. It's the Bible that makes it possible for us frail, sinful, limited human beings to know, not just know about, but know the God of all creation, the holy, loving God of all creation. Because really, when you think about it, this entire book is about Jesus. It's not just the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament points ahead to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament looks back at Jesus, but it's all about him. I love what the author Philip Yancey says. This is kind of a paraphrase of a quote of his. He says, the Bible from Genesis 3, Genesis 3, that's where sin enters the world, where Adam and Eve eat the fruit that God told them not to eat. And so he says, the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, that's the last chapter in the Bible, is the story, listen to this, I love this. It's the story of a God who will stop at nothing to win his family back. That's good stuff, folks. You watching online, that's good stuff. It's the story of a God who will stop at nothing to win back his family, and that's what makes this book unique. It points us, reveals to us the character of a holy and infinite God and how we can have a relationship with him. Now, when we think about passages in the Bible that tell us about the Bible, there's a couple that probably... You know, if you've read the Bible much, uh, these two are kind of the go-to passages. They, they might come to your mind. The one is in Hebrews 4, and it says this. It says, for the word of God is alive. It's powerful. If you view this book as just this stale, ancient book that was, you know, written a couple thousand years ago, you're going to miss it. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Uh, this image of a, of a sword, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. What does that mean? Well, it penetrates to the deepest recesses of our hearts, Think about this. Think about what a sword or a knife does. Now, this is kind of a graphic image, but what a sword does, it, it, it opens up what's on the outside and brings into view what's on the inside, right? You got that graphic, idea, graphic image in your head right now? That's what a sword does. 
That's what God's word does. It, it cuts away what's on the outside and it reveals what's on the inside. It's it, his truth. And by the way, let's don't make this an idol, okay? It's not the, it's not the, the paper and the ink here that makes this sacred. It's the truth that's written there. That's why reading it on your phone is just as legitimate as reading it here because it's the truth. And that truth that's contained there, it strips away the stuff that we insulate ourselves with. It strips away the stuff that we hide behind and it reveals to us who we really are. It reveals to us that we are sinners who fall short of the holiness of God. No matter how many good things we do, it reveals to us we are sinners who fall short of the holiness and righteousness of God. It reveals to us that we are completely and utterly dependent on him. Every breath you breathe is because God has given you that breath. It reveals that to us, but it also reveals to us that we are loved by a holy and awesome God, by an extraordinary God. Reveals to us that we are created to live holy lives that are, that are pleasing to our king, to live lives in service of our king. It reveals to us that the power of God's love and grace can forgive and set free even the sickest of sinners. All of that is revealed to us through his word. So there's an eternal, there's a spiritual eternal value to this because it shows us how to be saved and how to have a relationship with God, how to have life now and eternal life when we die. But the value of this book isn't just eternal and spiritual, is it? There's, there's practical value in this book. There's another passage in 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy, and, and he's talking to him about living a godly life and about continuing in the, in the faith and the, the teaching and the doctrine that he's been raised with. And he says this. He says, Timothy, you've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. There's the, that spiritual eternal part that we just talked about. It points us to Jesus, through whom we have eternal life. But then he says, all scripture is inspired by God. Folks, we don't believe that this is just a, just a human book that some, some guys came up with. We believe it's inspired by God. Now, that doesn't mean we believe that God dictated it. Like, I don't think, I don't think John, for example, was sitting there writing and God said, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that he gave it. No, we don't necessarily believe that, but we believe that as they wrote, God directed them and he inspired them to write what they wrote. It's inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Do you realize, folks, every single thing we face in life, everything is addressed in this book? If it doesn't mention it specifically, it at least gives us principles that we can apply. Every situation you face in life, you can find wisdom for it right here. So there's an eternal and a spiritual significance to this, but there's a practical significance also. It's a handbook for living. It's the owner's manual for life. I remember, I've told this before, I remember bringing our oldest home from the hospital when he was a baby and just thinking, where's the owner's manual for this kid? Well, parents, here's your owner's manual, right? 
Married couples, here's your owner's manual. Everything we need is there. Now, if all of this is true, if all this is true, then maybe we need to ask the question, why is it then? I bet if I won't, but I bet if I ask for a show of hands, I bet you just about all of you, maybe all of you will raise your hand and say, yes, I believe all of that, everything you just said, Adam, about this book. So then my question is, and I'm asking myself this too, why is it then that we so often hold it at arm's length? Why is it that so often we, we go through seasons where uh, we, 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 you know, we might give it a glance on Sunday mornings when, when it's being preached from? Why do we do that? Well, I can't help but think that maybe it would help us if we viewed it a little bit differently. Because there are all kinds of ways that we view this book. If you see it as a textbook, you've missed it. If you reduce it to a list of do's and don'ts, folks, you have missed it. This is so much more than a list of do's and don'ts. Doesn't mean there are no do's and don'ts in there. There are. I can think of 10 of them off the top of my head. But it's more than just a list of do's and don'ts. If we reduce it to a weapon to use against those that we don't like or disagree with, please, I beg you, don't use God's word that way. We've missed it. If we reduce it to just, a, just an ancient book with a bunch of words that are hard to pronounce, we've missed it. So let me give you a few metaphors that you, that you can use to think of this book. What if we looked at it as a pair of glasses through which we see God in ourselves more clearly? What if we view it as a treasure map? Kids, if you have an engagement bag, you, this, these, these images are on your, your coloring page. What if we viewed it as a treasure map that shows us how to find hope and grace and peace and forgiveness and salvation and everything we need in life? What if we viewed this book as a love letter from God? Now, I know uh, we've got some pretty macho, manly guys in here, and I don't care if you are the macho, manly guy in this room. If your wife or somebody you love gives you a love letter, you're going to read it. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands because the most macho guys aren't going to raise your hand anyway. But you know even the most macho dude in here or watching online is going to read that letter. And maybe read it again. And maybe read it again. What if we viewed this not as just this old book, but as a love letter from God telling you that he created you and he loves you and he has a purpose for your life? Tells us the story of a God who loves you enough that he would stop at nothing to win you back as his family. Well... What if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're saying, okay, all right, as my oldest would say, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down here. Okay, I get it. You've inspired me. Now what? Okay, well, the, the rest of this message is going to be one of the most practical messages you've ever heard in your life on any subject, okay? I'm going to give you some really practical things. If you say, all right, I'm inspired, I'm encouraged, I'm going to go home, I'm going to start, I'm going to come up with a way to spend some regular time in this. Now, what do I do? Well, let me give you some, some, uh, some quick things. And by the way, uh, Kyle makes fun of me sometimes for my shameless plugs. I'm just going to wear that like a shirt and give some shameless plugs, all right? Because uh, everything that I'm about to tell you 
you can find in a couple places. One, you can find it in one of our Next Steps classes, Connect 201 God in Me, which I'm sorry happened last Sunday, uh, but it'll come around again in April. We do it about three times a year. But you can also, if you don't want to wait that long, you can also find everything I'm about to say in this resource. We have these prayer resources down here, but we also have these Bible resources that just give you some practical ways. There's some different models in here that you can use as you're reading as, as ways to kind of glean from it and get things from it. Um, and there's all kinds of practical things. And so we keep these every Sunday on the connect wall, which is right next to the kitchen window in the lobby. But today, since I'm putting in my shameless plug about these, um, we also have a stack of them over there on the on the table, that shelf thing under the offering box, and we have one over on that side as well in the same place. So that's where you can find all of this information. So let's just talk about some really practical things. You're ready. You're ready to start having a, a, a quiet time and some, some time in the Word. Um, first of all, choose a version that's easy to read. Now, I know there are some of you who kind of have the idea if the King James was good enough for the Apostle Paul, then it's good enough for me. Okay, Paul didn't write in the King James, folks. King James came a long time afterwards. But here's the deal. The King James is really hard to read because nobody talks like that. It has all the these and thous and wherefores, and nobody talks like that anymore. But if you, if you like that, and you can read all the these and thous and wherefores, and you can get something out of it, and it's meaningful to you, then by all means, read the King James. But for everybody else... Pick a version, find a version that's easy for you to read. Uh, the two that I'd recommend, the NLT, the New Living Translation, that's what, that's what uh, we usually preach from up here, or the NIV, the New International Version. I've heard that one referred to before as the Nazarene International Version, because most Nazarene churches uh, use that one. But those are, those are pretty easy to read and, 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 and dependable. So find a version that's easy to read. Don't sweat the hard-to-pronounce names. I've re referred to that just a minute ago. I've had a lot of people over the years tell me, man, pastor, I tried reading the Bible, but there's just all those words in there that I don't know how to pronounce, and I just got discouraged, and I quit. No, don't quit. Listen, a master's degree at seminary doesn't necessarily make it any easier to pronounce some of those names. So if you have to, just skip them. But don't let the hard names, the hard words, don't let that keep you from spending time in his word. So don't sweat the hard to pronounce names. Choose a time of day that works best for you. And again, I've heard people say before, only time to do it is in the morning. Get up earlier, do it in the morning. It's the best way to start the day. Well, I agree that's the best way to start the day. It's also the best way to end the day. It's also the best way to spend your lunch hour. It's also the best way to spend the last 20 minutes before all the kids get home from school. In other words, my point is, there is no bad time of day to spend in God's word. So pick a time of day that works best for you, all right? Just pick a time that works best for you. And then another one, say a short prayer before you start. Open it up to wherever you're going to open it up and just pray, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that I have with you. Lord, would you just show me something that you want to show me today? Just say a short prayer before you start. Um, avoid just randomly opening the, opening the Bible in reading. Now, I've shared, a, I think, a story with you before, probably. Uh, I can think of one, maybe two, maybe three times in my life that I've just randomly opened the Bible, and I believe God directed my eyes to something that I needed in that moment. That's happened to me a time or two, and I'm not going to say that that never happens. I'm not going to say God can't speak that way. Of course he can. He can speak any way he wants. But don't make that your regular habit. 
of being in the word because you miss the context, you miss the broader story, and that's so important at times. Um, so maybe instead choose a, uh, choose a book to go through. There's 66 books in the Bible. Choose one of those books to go through, maybe a chapter at a time. If you're not a big reader, just go through like a paragraph at a time. If you are a big reader, go more than a chapter, but whatever fits you. Those chapters in there, by the way, the chapters and verses, those were added later to make it easier for us to navigate it. And so a chapter for most people is, is a pretty good chunk to read in a sitting. But whatever works for you. So choose a book to go through. Maybe, if you're new to this, start with one of the four Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first four books of the New Testament. They're, all four of them are about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And you say, well, why are there four? How come there's not just one? Why do we need four of them? Well, if you can imagine, if there was a, a car accident at an intersection, and you had someone on each of the four corners, each one of them is going to have a little different perspective on what happened, right? All four will be true but it'll be a different perspective. That's kind of why we have four Gospels. Each one gives a little different perspective. Each one wrote for a little bit different purpose, for a little bit different audience, and so they each give us a little bit different perspective on Jesus. So I would suggest starting there. Now, what if you say, okay, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Tonight, tomorrow morning, whatever, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with one of those Gospels. How do I know which one? Do I just start with Matthew? It's the first one. Well, maybe. Well, let me tell you about it. Again, in this, there's a chart that I came across a long time ago. I modified it a little bit. And the last row of the chart is one of the most helpful things I've ever seen about reading the Bible. And what it does is it breaks down each one of the four Gospels. And it tells us this. If you're interested in how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy, start with Matthew. That was Matthew's whole point. He was writing for a Jewish audience, and he wanted to show them how Jesus was, was and is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. He quotes the Old Testament more than any of the other four Gospels because that's what he's trying to show. So if you're interested in that, start in Matthew. If, uh, if you're not a big reader and you need action to keep your interest, then start with Mark. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. I read once that, that Mark, I haven't gone through to count, but I read once that Mark says the word at once or immediately more than any of the other Gospels because Mark is just, man, get to the point, tell the action, tell the story. So if you need that, um, then, then maybe you start with Mark. Luke, if you're detail-oriented, if you're history-minded, start with Luke. Luke was a doctor, and so he wrote with the detail-oriented mind of a doctor, and he was kind of a historian, so he wrote that way. So if that's interesting to you, then start in Luke. And finally, you have John. If you're philosophically-minded, if you're a deep thinker, if you love symbolism, read John, because John is full of all that stuff. And used to, when I was a, a younger pastor and, uh, you know, in my early days, I would recommend a brand new believer, start in John, because I'd heard so many pastors say, start in John. But somewhere along the way, I realized John might be the worst place to start if you're a new believer, because it's really deep and it has all this symbolism, and at times it leaves you going, wait, what? What's that, ta what's that talking about? But if that's how you're wired, in fact, usually I recommend new believers start in Mark, just because it's the shortest and it's, boom, tell the story. But if you're wired that way, if you're kind of philosophically minded or a deep thinker, start with the book of John. So if, if you want, if you want to take your phone out, take a picture of that. You can also see that slide on the, the version or not the version, the Church Center app. Um, and again, you can also find that in here as well. But where do you see yourself on that? 
Which one of those most closely fits who you are and how you're wired? Start there. Start there. So, so one, more, one more thing, one more little thing. Adam, you've inspired me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to look for ways to spend more consistent time in the Word. And uh, I've already decided what book I'm going to start in. Okay, well, still, now what? How do I get anything out of it? I mean, I've tried to read the Bible before, and I don't know how to get anything out of it. Well, again, there's four or five ways in here that you could, tools that you can use to apply when you're reading it. I'm going to give you two of them right now. The first one is just one truth. Decide how much you're going to read and just look for one truth, one observation, one thing that stands out to you, just one thing that you notice, one truth, and then pray about that. Think about maybe how you can apply that. But just look for one truth. The second one is the SOAP method. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the SOAP method of Bible study. It's been around for a long time. Um, and so basically, SOAP is, is a, an acronym. The S stands for Scripture. Read it. <laughs> Read the Scripture. That's a pretty good place to start, right? Read the passage. The O is observation. Again, What's one observation? What's one thing you notice about what you just read? What's one thing that stands out to you? The A is application. Think through, okay, how can I apply what I just read? God, show me how I can apply what I just read. Based on what I just read, I will. And fill in that blank. And then the P is prayer. Spend a little bit of time in prayer based on what you just read and continue to ask God, God, would you just show me? Would you, would you help what I just read to just kind of roll over in my mind uh, today or, or tomorrow as I go about my day um, and, and continue to show me what you want to show me from this passage? So again, that's two ways of several that are in here that you can read the Bible and you can glean things from it and let God speak to you and teach you and challenge you and inspire you. And then finally, um, if you don't have the YouVersion app on your phone, get it. It's free. You can, you can read the Bible in all kinds of different versions. You can pull it up there. Um, there are all kinds of devotionals and reading plans. You can search for any topic you want to search on. Depression, anxiety, um, a, a specific book of the Bible, marriage, specific topics within marriage. You set the couples as something you could do together. They're short devotionals. Find one that, that you both like. Um, there's a couple that Sarah and I have gone through together that's praying over your kids. You read the devotional, you read the scripture, and then, and then based on what you just read, you pray that prayer over your kids. Anything pretty much that you want, you can find those devotionals there. And then here's the third reason you might want to download this app. In a room this size, and, and those watching online, I know there are people in this room, and probably some of you, who hate to read. And you might hate to read because it's really hard. Not because you're dumb, but just because of how your brain's wired. And, I, and I'm a little, I, I worry sometimes that as we pastors in general might be guilty of saying so often, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, and understand I, you, can't, you can't overstate the importance of reading the Bible. But I fear that maybe we've left people discouraged at times, thinking, man, I hate reading, and I'm not even good at it. Is this really the only way that I can connect with God? Well, no, it's not the only way. I already talked about that. It's not the only way you can connect with God. But here's why the YouVersion app is really good. If that's you, if you hate to read and you're not good at it, 
the YouVersion app will read it to you. How's that? You can put it on while you're, while you're driving to work or while you're in the shower or while you're laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. It'll read it to you. And like Jeannie said in first service, it'll pronounce the hard names for you. So that's a great, it's just a great resource. You can find, you can find a reading plans on there. If you want to set out to read the Bible in a year, it'll break that down for you. Say, okay, on this day, read this. On this day, read this. It's a great resource. Download it to your phone. It's free. So as the band comes up, I'm going to read you with two, two final thoughts. I know this has been a different kind of a message today, uh, but I wanted to give you some practical stuff that you can maybe take home with you. I think it was D.L. Moody that said something to this effect. The Bible isn't just meant to be informational. It's meant to be transformational. Don't just read the Bible to get information. Read it and ask God to transform you through, through the truth that's there. God, would you transform me? Would you use your word and would you use the truth that's here to continue to mold me into the person you created me to be? Don't just read it for information. Read it for transformation. And then the final thought is this. I gave you a few images or metaphors to use that you could think of the Bible with. And I want to give you one more. What if we viewed the Bible as a table where we as imperfect fallen people can pull up a chair, sit down to a meal or a cup of coffee, and spend some time with the holy, loving God of all the universe. What if we viewed this book as a table where we can just spend time with God, where we can hang out with Him? So let me ask you today before we sing, what is one thing that you could do in your life? What's one change you could make in your schedule? What's one habit you could, you could develop? What's, what's one resource you could get a hold of to help? But what's one thing that you could do to more consistently pull up a chair and just spend some time with God through his word? It'll change your life. And if you're not a believer, it'll change your eternity. Would you stand with us? Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the gift of your word that tells us who you are. You are real. You are a holy God. You are a loving God. You created us and you love us. Father, would you plant your truth deep in our hearts. Use it to, to shape us into the people you created us to be and give us a passion for it. We pray this in Jesus' name.